0: It's nice to see you all and I notice that some of the, the members of Bodhinyana Monastery are here to listen to uh, the Sutta class and I'm not sure if you're going to enjoy this piece of information or not, but the Sutta class I'm doing today is the Gatikawa Sutta. And I only did that a couple of weeks ago to you in the Sutta classes in Bodhinyana. So you may have heard this before, but you haven't heard this as many times as I've heard it. (laughs) So hopefully you can find it interesting. And one of the reasons is because, again, I was asking Ai Ling whether you like these sutta classes or whether we should do guided meditations or exactly what type of suttas you wanted whether they wanted deep suitors or ordinary suitors or somewhere in between and apparently you can blame my Ling for this she's not here I was just checking she was saying that some of you saw wanted deeper suitors and that's really up to you but be careful because i tell the story of one of the first times i went to singapore the Uh, president of the Buddhist Fellowship, Uh, he'd listened to many of my talks, this was many years ago, and he said, well, you know, the stories of the two bad bricks and opening the door of your heart are really important, but it's nice to hear something deeper every now and again. So can you give us a deep talk? And so, I said, okay, I'll give you a nice deep talk, and that evening I gave a lovely deep talk and because he was a past president of the Buddhist fellowship, what was his name again? Sun Han, Han. he was a lawyer. He was a very nice chap. And so when I gave that talk and then afterwards I went back to rest and when he picked me up in the morning to take me to breakfast, he said, Ajahn Brahm, please never do that again. I never slept all night. <laughs> it was too deep for him. And so you've got to find that balance, which is, you know, encourages you. And you see some deeper Dhamma, and as a result, it should be inspiring rather than worrying for you. But anyway, that was many, many years ago. And it was just um, hard for him to sleep that night because it said some things he'd never heard before. It was challenging. And even for a lawyer, a little bit too challenging. And the way I try and explain things is the ways you can understand. And that's even more challenging. Because I never completed this story that with uh, those talks I used to go to as a layman in UK, that some of them were so deep. I remember we would go out of the talk afterwards and we'd say, wow, that was so deep. Yeah, it was incredibly deep. I didn't understand a word of it. Neither did I. <laughs> so it must have been deep. And that that was a little bit stupid. The person who's given that talk, you realise later on, he may or she may have known the Dhamma, they didn't know how to express it in such a way where people could understand what it meant. And so I learned from that to make sure that when I do teach anything, to try and make sure it's in words which you can understand. And if you can understand those talks or those ideas, because you can understand it, it does not mean it's not profound. It means, you know, you've explained it well. And the story, the metaphor I give, was something I read about the quantum physicist Werner Heisenberg. Many of you may not know quantum physics, but you know Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle, which he became famous for, but it was much more than just the originator of Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle. He was a great physicist. But one of his quotes, which I will never forget, he said, if you, can really, if you really know the subject of quantum physics, then you can be able to explain it to the barmaid serving you a pint of beer in the pub. Of course, you know, none of you go to pubs, but you can understand what I mean. <laughs> and that barmaid will be able to understand what you mean. Your understanding of a subject, he said, is measured by your ability to explain it in simple terms to anyone. And I take that on board that if you really understand the Dhamma, you should be able to explain it in such terms that everyone understands. Whether they want to understand it or not is another matter, whether they're ready to understand it is another matter. So just like that simile for what enlightenment was, which I mentioned this morning. You know, the the five children playing the wishing game. It's a very simple explanation, that's why I like it so much. And so it gives you a feeling for what this enlightenment is. It may not feel profound, because you can understand it, but it is profound. So anyway, the Sutta class today uh, I chose to again talk about the Gatikara Sutta. And one of the reasons i talking about Gatikara Sutta is because it's concerning a past life of Gotama the Buddha, no, our Buddha. And it was quite a surprise to read this in the Suttas, simply because it challenged some of the ideas I had about the progress of a person who is to become a Buddha in a future life. And this is earlier teachings, this was taught by the Buddha himself, so it has some authenticity which can challenge some of our ideas, of you know, the progress to being a Buddha. And one of the nice things about this sutra, in, it's the 81st sutra in the middle length sayings, that there is also another sutta which mentions Gatikara and that's in the Samyutta Nikaya. I've also got that here as well. It's in the Devata Samyutta, there's a 50, 50 50th sutta there. And that shows another thing about Gatikara and it it gives some authenticity to the first sutta I'm going to read out when it's mentioned twice, and in different collections of suttas, the Majjhima Nikaya is maybe one of the most popular collections of suttas, and this is uh, from the Samyutta Nikaya, another popular collection. And these two different suttas come together, they support one another. (coughs) So here it is, with Gatikara. Please excuse me, but yesterday, reading suttas, I don't know, it's because I respect them so much. I usually do a Namo Tassa first of all. So I'm going to do that. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Alahato Sama Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Alahato Sama Sambuddhasa namo Tassa Bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa with Gatikara. Thus have I heard. At one time the Buddha was wandering in the land of the Kosalans together with a large sangha of monks. Then the Buddha left the road and at a certain spot he smiled the venerable Ananda thought, what is the cause, what is the reason why the Buddha smiled? Realised ones do not smile for no reason. So Ananda arranged his robe over one shoulder, usually when we're travelling we have the robe over both shoulders, but when we want to pay respect or in a temple or giving a talk, it's always one robe over one shoulder, or sometimes with me. No, robe over no shoulders, because it falls off. <laughs> Once upon a time, Ananda, replied the Buddha, there was a market town in this spot named Vabalinga. It was successful and prosperous and full of people. And Kasapa, a blessed one, a perfected one, a fully awakened Buddha, lived supported by Vebalinga. It was here in fact that he had his monastery where he sat and advised the Sangha of monks. Then Ananda spread out his outer robe, folded in four and said to the Buddha, well then sir, may the blessed ones sit here. Then this piece of land would have been occupied, would have been occupied by two perfected ones, fully awakened Buddhas and Buddha sat on the seat, spread out. When he was seated, he said to Venerable Ananda, Once upon a time, Ananda, there was a market town in this spot named Vabalinga. It was successful and prosperous and full of people, and Kasapra, a blessed one, a perfected one, a fully awakened Buddha, lived supported by Vajbalinga. It was here, in fact, that he had his monastery where he sat and advised the Sangha. The Buddha Kasapa had a chief supporter in Vebalinga a potter named Gatikara. And if you know your Pali, Gatikara actually means a maker of pots. <laughs> Gatikara had a dear friend named Jyotipala, a Brahmin student. Then Gati Kara addressed Jyotipala Come, dear Jyotipala, let's go to see the Blessed One Kasapa, the perfected one, the fully awakened Buddha, for I regard it as good to see the Blessed One. When he said this, Jyotipala said to him Enough, dear Gati Kara, what's of the what's the use of seeing that baldy, that fake ascetic? And those were the, that was a translation of Ajahn Sujato. It's a pretty accurate sen- uh, translation. For a second time and a third time, Gati Kara addressed Jyotipala. Come, dear Jyotipala, let's go to see the Blessed One Kasapa, the Perfected One, the fully awakened Buddha. For I regard it as good to see that Blessed One. And for a third time, Jyotipala said to him, Enough, dear Gatikara. What's the use of seeing that baldy, that fake ascetic? Well then, dear Jyotipala, let's take some bathing paste of powdered shell and go to the river to bathe. And if you know, in India, they, very often they always like bathing, if they can, if there's water. Yes, dear, replied Jyotipala, so that's what they did. Then Gatikara addressed Jyotipala. Dear Jyotipala, the Buddha Kasapa's monastery is not far away. Let's go to see the blessed one Kasapa, the perfected one, the fully awakened Buddha, for I regard it as good to see the Blessed One. When he said this, Jyotipala said to him again, Enough, dear Gati Kara. What's the use of seeing that baldy, that fake ascetic? For a second time and a third time, Gatikara addressed Jyotipada. Remember they were best friends. Dear Jyotipada, the Buddha Kaspar's monastery is not far away. Let's go to see the Blessed One Kaspar, the perfected one, the fully awakened Buddha. For I regard it as good to see that Blessed One. And for a third time, Jyotipada said to him, enough! Dear Kara, what's the use of seeing that baldy, that fake ascetic? Then Kara grabbed Jyotipala by his belt and said, Dear Jyotipala, the Buddha Kasapa's monastery is not far away. Let's go to see the Blessed One Kasapa, the perfected one, the fully awakened Buddha. For I regard it as good to see that Blessed One. So Jyotipala undid his belt. And Zati said to Gatikara, Enough, dear Gatikara, what's the use of seeing that body, that fake ascetic? Then Gatikara grabbed Jyotipala by the hair of his freshly washed head and said, Dear Jyotipala, the Buddha Kasapas Monastery is not far away. Let's go to see the Blessed One Kasapa, the Perfected One, the fully awakened Buddha, for I think it good to see that Blessed One. And this time Jyotipala did not say, what's the use of seeing that baldy fake ascetic? Instead, Jyotipada thought, it's incredible, it's amazing, how this potter, Gatikara, though born in a lower caste, should presume to grab me by the hair of my freshly washed head. You don't do that in parts of Asian culture. Even if ever I had the opportunity to like shave Ajahn Chah's head on the um, apostate days. You always had to ask permission first of all. Is it okay if I touch your head? You can't just touch people on the head. That's regarded as very, very disrespectful. And to grab someone by the head, hair like that, that was just going a bit too far. So Gatikara grabbed Jotipala by the hair of his freshly washed head, And said, Dear Jyotipala, the Buddha's Kaspar's monastery not far away, let's go there. Jyotipala thought, It's amazing how this potter Gatikara, though born in a lower caste, should presume to grab me by the hair of my freshly washed head. This can't be an ordinary matter. So he said to Gatikara, You'd even go to this extent, dear Gatikara, I even go to this extent dear Jyotipala, for that is how good I regarded to see that blessed one. Well then, dear Gatikara, release me, we shall go. And it was very good for both of them to go and see the former Buddha Kassapa to see what happens next. Then Gatikara the potter and Jyotipala the Brahmin student went to the Buddha Kasapa. Gatikara bowed and sat down to one side. That's always the way that disciples uh, treat their their teacher. But of course, um, Jyotipala wasn't a disciple yet, so uh, Jyotipala uh, exchanged greetings with the Buddha and sat down to one side. And Gatikara said to the Buddha, Kasapha, Sir... This is my dear friend Jyotipala, a Brahmin student. Please teach him the Dhamma. Then the Buddha Kasapa, educated, encouraged, fired up and inspired Gatikara and Jyotipala with a Dhamma talk. Then they got up from their seats, bowed and respect respectfully circled the Buddha Kasapa, keeping on their right before leaving. That's the way that people pay respect to someone they, they, uh, who's inspired them. Even, I recall, staying in Ajahn Chah's monastery, and sometimes uh, helicopters belonging to the Thai military, you see them flying overhead, over that monastery, and going around three times in the air, You know, above Ajahn Chah's monastery, always keeping their right side to the object of worship. And even uh, in the great mosque in Mecca, you see some of the students of Islam, they always go around three times, keeping their right side to the Kaaba, their object of worship that day. It's an old Asian tradition which we share as Buddhists with the Muslims. How that got to the Muslims, who you know, became a religious force later on in life, sometimes makes me ask, you know, how come Buddhist Indian traditions got into that culture? And on that subject, just for interest, you know there used to be a very good monk over in Kuala Lumpur called Dr. K. Damananda. Damananda. many of you may have met him the Buddhist fellowship over in Singapore was encouraged by him. They started off as a Buddhist graduate fellowship for university students. But anyway, they decided to make it open to everybody. So Dr. K. Sri was a very powerful, good monk, and he also, he was a good friend of mine. And I remember one of the talks we gave at his place, because he knew that I could give a good talk. So he said, well, what do you want to talk about tonight? And I said, let's talk about ghosts. And the hall was packed and people who couldn't get in were looking through the windows. And that was just the human beings. The ghosts <laughs> there were all even more. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Casey Damananda, uh, he was just a wonderful, good spirited man, a monk and every now and again I would be giving a story and then he'd take the microphone and tell one of his stories and I'll tell another one. It was one of those most memorable talks, it was really good fun. It was there when he told the story in one of the houses close by which was haunted. They weren't Buddhists and I think they tried Christians, Taoists, Muslims, everybody and nothing worked so they invited him there to try and do some chanting to get rid of the ghost and it worked he went to the house, chanting, and the, chart, the ghost left the house. But that wasn't the end of the story, because the ghost left that house, didn't have anywhere to go, so he just went next door. <laughs> and the next door house started being haunted. And so he had to go to every house in the street and chant in every one of them to make sure the, the ghost didn't just go next door, but left the neighborhood. <laughs> That's a good, true story. Just the way he said it, it had a wonderful sense of humour, did uh, Dr. Keshe Damananda. Anyway, uh, where was I going with this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Daman. Yeah, at all. So then they got from up from their seat, bowed and respectfully. Oh, yes, right. That he was the one who told me because in the Malaysia there's many. Muslims there, and many of the Muslims in Malaysia, and if they had the chance, they'd become Buddhists. So they go to see him and they talk about so many things. And he knows he's passed away now, Dr. Kesri Dhammananda, but many of them told him that when they went on Hajj to Mecca, when they went you know, into the Grand Mosque, there's many anterooms you go in first of all before you actually get to the main area. And he said, there's one of those anterooms. They are told, do not look at the ceiling. Keep your eyes down. And I think you know Singaporeans, Malaysians, people in that area, you tell them not to do something and that's inviting them to do it. <laughs> and, and so a couple of them had a quick look at the ceiling and they found out why they weren't allowed to look at it. Because on the ceiling in the holiest place of Islam, there's a a painting of the Lord Buddha. And of course, they can't ask what the heck is that doing there. They're getting in real trouble. They'll admit that they didn't follow instructions. But what's that doing there? And it's not just one person saw that, many people saw that. Interesting piece of information. But anyway. Then they got up from their seat, bowed and respectfully circled the Buddha Kassapa, keeping him on their right before leaving. Then Jyotipala said to Gatikara, Dear Gatikara, you have heard this teaching, so why don't you go forth from the lay life to homelessness? Why don't you ordain? And don't you know, dear Jyotipala, that I look after my blind old parents. Both his parents were old and blind, and he was their son, and he thought that was the more important thing to do, to do your filial responsibility, because there's no one else to look after his blind old parents. And Jyotipala replied, Well then, dear Gatikara, I shall go forth from the lay life to homelessness. So Jyotipala, who was called many times the Buddha Kassapa, baldy, <laughs> fake ascetic, was obviously so inspired that now he became a monk under Kasapa. Not long. So then Gatika and Jyotipala went to the Buddha Kasapa, bowed and sat down to one side. And Gatikara said to the Buddha, Kassapa, Sir, this is my dear friend Jyotipala, a Brahmin student. Please give him the going forth. And Jyotipala, the Brahmin student, received the going forth, the ordination in the Buddha's presence. Not long after Jyotipala's ordination, a fortnight later, the Buddha, Kassapa, having stayed in Weberlinga as long as he wished, set out for Benares. Travelling stage by stage, he arrived at Benares where he stayed near Benares in a deer park at Isipatana. King Kiki of Kasi heard that he had arrived. He had the finest carriages harnessed, he then mounted a fine carriage and along with other fine carriages set out in royal pomp from Benares to see the Buddha Kasapa. He went by carriage as as far as the terrain allowed then descended and approached the Buddha Kasapur on foot. There's many stories like that, and this is why I say the nice way to understand the importance of the breath in meditation, you go you know, towards peace, on using your breath, taking the breath as far as it can go, and then from there, you use other vehicles to get you deeper. Usually you know, the, the joys and the pleasures, the nimittas, and you take the nimidus as far as they can take you and then you discard the nimidus and get into jhanas. So each meditation object can take you only so far and you know when basically to let it go and go to a more refined meditation object. Just like King Kiki of Kasi went in his carriage as far as it would go and then went on foot. He bowed and sat down to one side and the Buddha, educated, encouraged, fired up and inspired the king with a dhamma talk. Then King Kiki said to the Buddha, Sir, would the Buddha, together with the Sangha, please accept tomorrow's meal from me? And the Buddha, Kassapa consented in silence. That consent in silence was very common in the time of the Buddha, that instead of saying yes, you don't say anything, and you take that as an assent. Please don't do that to me. If you say, can you please give me an interview and I don't say anything, (laughs) that doesn't mean yes, okay? Can you please come to Singapore? That doesn't mean yes because I don't say anything. (laughs) So anyway, what I usually answer because it's really I, I just you can't say no when people give you a good invitation, and they, you know you know it'd be very good for them and and you know benefit them a lot. But sometimes you can't go everywhere. So what I usually say, can you come to Singapore to give a teaching? My reply is, I'll think about it. And I've been thinking about many invitations for years now. <laughs> it's what. It's my way of saying no <laughs> without upsetting you. <laughs> and. Okay. That, then, knowing that the Buddha had consented, King Kiki got up from his seat, bowed and respectfully circled the Buddha, keeping him on his right before leaving. And when the night had passed, King Kiki had a variety of delicious foods prepared in his own home. soft saffron rice with the dark grains picked out, served in many soups and sauces. Then he had the Buddha informed of the time, saying, Sir, it's time, the meal is ready. Then Kasapva the Buddha, robed up in the morning and taking his bowl and robe, went to the home of King Kiki, where he sat on the seat spread out together with the Sangha. Then the King Kiki served and satisfied the Sangha headed by the Buddha with his own hand, with a variety of delicious foods. When the Buddha Kasapa had eaten and washed his hand and bowl, King Kiki took a low seat and sat to one side. Then he said to the Buddha Kasapa, Sir, may the Buddha please accept my invitation to reside in Benares for the rainy season. The Sangha will be looked after in the same style. Enough, great king. I have already accepted an invitation for the reigns residence. Now one of the first things to notice, sir, the king was very smart. You feed the monks first of all, or the nun, and once you've fed them, and they're very happy, then you can invite them. (laughs) When you feed a monk and the monk is well fed, they're much softer with a full tummy. (laughs) I don't know why it is, sometimes you're really busy and you're rushing around and then people stop you and ask you for something. Please choose the right time. I'm giving you a clue now how to get Venerable Chanda to go and give a talk over in Singapore or anywhere. She's a good teacher. Anyway, is that okay or are you going to think about it? Twenty twenty four. Because, because she's been silent. Because she because she's been silent? She's accepted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back to the Gattikao sister. Uh enough, great king, I've already accepted an invitation for the Range residence. Oops. Okay. Yeah, I just can't pages are stuck together. There we go. For a second time and a third time, King Kiki said to the Buddha Kasapa, Sir, may the Buddha please accept my invitation to reside in Benares for the rainy season. The Sangha will be looked after in the same style. Enough, great king. I have already accepted an invitation for the rains residence. Now the Buddha would actually uh, refuse the king. You've got to be careful which king you refuse, because sometimes... (laughs) They used to put people who refused them into the Tower of London, I remember lots of stories about that. Then King Kiki, thinking the Buddha does not accept my invitation to reside for the reigns in Benares, became sad and upset. Then Kiki said to the Buddha, Kasapa, Sir? Sir? Do you have another supporter better than me? Great king, there is a market town named Vebalinga, where there's a potter named Gatikara. He is my chief supporter. Now, great king, you thought, the Buddha does not accept my royal invitation to his the reigns in Benares and he became sad and upset but Gatikara does not get upset, nor will he. Now imagine this, the Buddha Kaspar was saying, accepted an invitation from a potter, instead of from a king, that was really weird. And he said, Gatikara does not get upset, nor will he. Gatikara has gone for refuge to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. He doesn't kill living creatures, steal, commit sexual misconduct, lie or take alcoholic drinks that cause negligence. He's keeping the five precepts. Also, he has experiential confidence in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha and has the ethics loved by the noble ones. And If you know the suttas, that is what they always say of stream winners experiential confidence, doesn't mean just by influence or what you believe. You, know, you have the great experiences of entering the stream. He's a stream winner. He is free of doubt regarding suffering, its origin, its cessation, the practice that leads to its cessation. He eats in one part, that's the Four Noble Truths, he eats in one part of the day, he's celibate, Ethical and of good character. He has set aside gems and gold and rejected golden money. He's put down the shovel and doesn't dig the earth with his own hands. He takes what has crumbled off by a riverbank or being dug up by mice and brings it back in a carrier. When he has made a pot, he said, Anyone may leave bagged sesame. Mung beans or chickpeas here, and take what they wish, like barter. He didn't say what he was going to barter. You leave what you want, you take what you want. He looks after his blind old parents, and since he has ended the five lower fetters, that means he's an anagami. Gati will be reborn spontaneously and will become extinguished there not liable to return from that world. And that's the state of being an anagami and go to the pure abodes, and when you get reborn in those places, you can't really say you're reborn, you reappear there, because you're not born as a baby, you don't have to go to school anymore, you reappear fully formed. So the Buddha was saying that Gatikara was a non-returner, That's why his best friend, Jyotipala, didn't matter how many times he called the Buddha a baldy. He just never got upset, but just made sure he found a way his best friend, Jyotipala, could meet the Buddha. Then one time, great king, I was staying near the market town of Febalinga. Then I robed up in the morning and taking my bowl and robe, went to the home of Gatikara's parents. They were blind and old. Well, I said to them, excuse me, where has Bagawa gone? And Bhagawa was the name of, almost like a nickname of Gatikara, a personal name. Your supporter has gone out, sir, but rice from the pot and sauce from the... P- I say, your supporter has gone out, sir, but take rice from the pot and sauce from the pan and eat. So that's what I did. This is the Buddha Kasapa. And after eating, I got up from my seat and left. Then Kao went up to his parents when he returned and said, Who took rice from the pot and sauce from the pan, ate it and left? It was the Buddha Kasapa, my dear. Then Gatikara thought, Oh, I'm so fortunate, so very fortunate. In you know the Buddha Kasapar, trust me so much then joy and happiness did not leave him for a fortnight or his parents for a week. A Buddha sort of ate your food. Wow. Another, <laughs> Another time, great king, I was staying near that same market town of Eberlinga, and I rolled up in the morning and, taking my bowl and robe, went, there we go, to the home of Gatikara's parents, well, I said to them, excuse me, where has Bhagawa gone? That's his son. Your support has gone out, sir, but take porridge from the pot and sauce from the pan and eat. So that's what I did. And after eating, I got up from my seat and left. Then Gatikara went up to his parents and said, who took porridge from the pot and sauce from the pan, ate it and left? It was a Buddha Kassapa, my dear. And then Gatikala thought again, Oh, I'm so incredibly fortunate, so very fortunate to be trusted so much by the Buddha Kasapa. And again, joy and happiness did not leave him for a fortnight, or his parents for a week. Another time, great king, I was staying near that same market town of Eberlinga, and at that time, my kuti leaked. So I, no, the kuti where the monks stay, the hut. So I addressed the monks, Monks! go to Gatikara's home and find some grass. When I said this, those monks said to me, Sir, there's no grass there, but his workshop has a roof. Then go to the workshop and strip the grass. And so that's what they did. Then Gatikara's parents said to those monks, Who's stripping the grass from the workshop? It's the monks. Sister, the Buddha's hut is leaking. Take it, sirs, take it, my dears. Then Gatikara, when he came back, went up to his parents and said, Who stripped the grass from the workshop? It was a monk's, dear. It seems that the Buddha's hut is leaking. And Gatikara thought, Oh, I'm so fortunate, so very fortunate, to be trusted so much by the Buddha Kassapa." Then joy and happiness did not leave him for a fortnight or his parents for a week. Then the workshop where he made his pots remained with the sky for a roof for the whole three months but no rain fell on it. And that great king is what Gatikara the potter is like. And the king said, Gatikara the potter is fortunate, very fortunate, to be so trusted by the Buddha, Kassapa. Then King Kiki sent around 500 cartloads of rice, soft saffron rice and suitable sauce for Gatikara. I don't know if it was 500 carts, but it means a lot. Then one of the king's men approached Gatikara and said, Sir, these 500 cartloads of rice, soft saffron rice and suitable sauce have been sent to you by King Kiki of Kasi, please accept them. The king has many duties and much to do. I have enough, said Gatikara, let this be for the king himself. In other words, even Gatikara had the strength of character to refuse all that, even though he was just so poor. Now this is a, one of the main reasons I read out this to the next paragraph. Ananda, you might think, surely the Brahmin student, Jyotipala, the best friend of Gatikara, must have been someone else at that time, but you should not see it like this. I myself, said the Buddha, our Buddha, was the student, Jyotipala, at that time. This is what the Buddha said, satisfied Venerable Ananda was happy with what the Buddha said the Buddha was stating, he was Jyotipala in a previous life. That when he first heard of the Buddha Kasapa, who we always call the previous Buddha to uh, the Buddha Siddhartha Gotama, then uh, he lived at the same time and he was so disrespectful, he called the previous Buddha baldy, a fake ascetic six times, actually more than that. It's only when he saw him that he got so inspired that he became a monk. He ordained with the Buddha Kasapa. I myself with the student Jodipala at the time said, Buddha Siddhartha Gautama. Now, the Gatikara Sutta from the Samyutta Nikaya. The Devata, Heavenly Being Gatikara. Now, an Anagami. Seven monks reborn in Aviha have been fully liberated with lust and hatred utterly destroyed. They have crossed over attachment to the world. This is done in verse. Aviha, no, there is a place in the west of India called Avanti, and I got it confused when I said this the first time. Thanks to, um, what's her name again? Linda. She pointed out Aviha is not a place in India, it's one of the realms of the, um, the anagamis where they get reborn. So, seven bhikkhus who were re arose in the Aviha, have now been fully liberated. The lust and hatred utterly destroyed. They have crossed over attachment to the world. And the Buddha, uh, Gotama. and who are those who cross the swamp, the realm of death so hard to cross, who have left the human body and also overcome the celestial bond? And he gives a list of names, Gatikara, Upaka, Palaganda, Pukusati, these are three, Badia, Badadeva, Bahudanta, and Pingya. They, having left the human body, have overcome the celestial bond. In other words, they've left the pure abodes and now Nibbana. The Blessed One, Buddha, our Buddha, good is the word you speak of them, of those who have abandoned Mara's snares. Whose Dhamma was it that they understood whereby they cut through the bondage of existence? It was not apart from the Blessed One, it was not apart from your teaching, by having understood your Dhamma, they cut through the bondage of existence. Where name and form, Nama Rupa ceases, stops without remainder. I always love that line without remainder, I mean, it really stops. By understanding that Dhamma here, they cut through the bondage of existence. And the Buddha replied, Deep is the speech you utter, hard to understand, very hard to grasp. Having understood whose Dhamma do you utter such a speech? And Gatikara replies to Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, in the past, I was a potter, Gatikara, in Wehalinga. I supported my mother and father then, as a lay follower of the Buddha, Kassapa. I abstained from sexual intercourse. I was celibate, free from carnal ties. I was your fellow villager. In the past, I was your friend. I am the one who knows these seven liberated bhikkhus, who with lust and hatred utterly destroyed had crossed over attachment to the world." And the Buddha Siddhartha Gotama, just so it was at that time, as you say, oh Bhagawa. And that Bhagawa is not like the usual uh, pronunciation, the usual word Bhagawa, uh, you know, in, um, is in namo tasa Bhagawato it's another um, word similar in pronunciation, but it's got two Gs, it's a different word. It was the same nickname which the uh, Jyotipala gave to his friend Gatikara before. The blessed one remembers this, the current Buddha. As you say, O Bhagawa, in the past you were the potter Gatikara in Wehalinga. You supported your mother and father then as a lay follower of the Buddha Kasapa. You abstained from sexual intercourse, you were celibate, free from carnal ties. You were my fellow villager. In the past, you were my friend. Such was the meeting that took place between those friends from the past, both now inwardly developed, bearers of their final bodies. The Buddha, the final body of a fully enlightened one. Gatikara, the non-returner. Just so close to making that final step are bearing their final bodies. I kind of like that sutta very much, especially when you put it with the sutta of Gatikara coming to basically congratulate his old mate, Jyotipala, now reborn Siddhartha Gautama and now fully attained Buddha. It gives a sense of understanding that a Buddha, even in a previous life, was not so perfect. He couldn't even recognize the Buddha Kasapa in his own vicinity and called him Baldi. But as soon as he met the Buddha Kasapa, then of course, he really got uh, so much faith, he became a monk himself. So that gives a sense of like, Almost humanity. Humanity? I don't know if that's the right word. But two old friends meeting one another. One the Buddha, one his best friend from a previous life. And it also shows that oh, that uh, on the part of being a Buddha, previous life and the Buddha Kasapa was always supposed to be in this eon, not that long ago according to the cosmology of Buddhism and so it's wonderful they can meet one another and they can actually show what it was like in a previous life and that person became a fully enlightened Buddha. How many of you is it possible to be a fully enlightened Buddha? Even those of you or your friends who say, I'm going to go to the monastery. So What are you going to a stupid monastery for? To see those baldy nuns and those baldy monks. Actually, you're more baldy than I am. I've got to have a shave later on. <laughs> and it gives an idea. We always think that it takes lifetimes to be a Buddha. Lifetimes and perfections. Does it? Okay, any questions before we finish off? Yeah? Uh, The Anagamis, do they go to the pure abode? Yes. But I thought the pure abode, they won't have, they won't be able to come back to talk, uh, like the gave They can, they're just not reborn into this world, they can come and visit, as this was often, often the case. There's also another famous anagami who came to see the Buddha after the enlightenment, and that was an anagami called Sahampati. Sometimes they call Brahma Sahampati, but that was just a name given. That was also an anagami. And again, I think Sahampati was also a monk under Kassapa, if I remember correctly, I forget the name now, and uh, Sahampati came to see the newly enlightened Buddha, not to actually to just renew friendship, but to say to the Buddha, Look, please teach out of compassion. There are many beings in this world with little dust in their eyes. So please, teach out of compassion for the world. And that was one of the reasons why the Buddha was not a pacheka Buddha, what they call silent Buddha, but actually spent his life teaching. He needed someone. When you understand in these deep meditations how you become so still afterwards, where you know all your desires are basically quashed. You come out afterwards there's nothing to do. You need someone else to ask you, can you please teach out of compassion. And that was, they didn't say he was a friend of the Buddha, but he was a monk, Sahampati was a monk under Kasapa, and uh, obviously Siddhartha Gotama was a monk under Kasapa before, it's very likely they knew each other, and so Sahampati came and said, please teach. that was always needed. I know sometimes we use the word Brahma like as a god. I remember, you know know my sense of humour, that when I first heard that, that Brahma came and asked the Buddha to teach and how important that invitation was. Then I just, one of my monks and I repeated it many times what he said, thank God for Buddhism. Like Brahma, Sahampati, but it wasn't really a good statement because the Brahma literally means God, but he was an anagami, a non-returner. So they have some interesting suttas, they're not all about noble truths, four noble truths, so in non-self. they got some interesting historical facts in there, which I wanted to share with you. The other thing which I really like in here is just how When Gatikara just obviously made this invitation to the Buddha, please, know, whatever I have, please take whatever you want. When the Buddha accepted like rice or porridge or even grass from the workshop, how that gave so much delight, you know, to the parents and to Gatikara himself. And I know many of you have been so generous in the past, but don't just leave it there just please delight in your goodness, in your kindness, in just what you do. That brings you so much happiness, it's all for free. Instead if you do something wrong, then we tend to have so much guilt and oh I'm hopeless, I don't really deserve to be in this uh, retreat center, all these other people, I'm taking their place, I feel terrible. Please never think like that. Instead of always um, checking out your bad karma account, check out your good karma account, and all the amazing, wonderful things you've done. And if you give like a bar of chocolate to Venerable uh, Chanda or to me or to any other monks, please, if you give that bar of chocolate, think let happiness never leave you for a fortnight. Why not? Okay, so it's, oh, it is 5 to 5, so we can. I did tell um, PJ that if I talk too much, he can turn off the amplifier <laughs> so the sound system cuts out. He said he preferred prefer just to turn off the lights. So has anyone got one more question, you know, about the talk and then it just comes to five o'clock? Yeah? Um, I think I've heard you talk about that sort of before and say that that might have been, that the Jyotipala the in that life then may have been reborn in some day from now, and it could have been his past life, like his last life before being a Ye- Oh yes. Now imagine... Jyotipala was ordained with Kasapa, the Buddha, and that's in the suttas, twice, so it's very hard to argue against that. So what then happened to you know, our Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama? If you were staying with a Buddha, like a Buddha Kasapa, surely, you must have become a stream winner at least. You know it's okay you know being ordained and staying under Ajahn Chah, or only does are great teachers, but a Buddha. That is incredible good karma to be, have a, a Buddha as your teacher. And so surely Jyotipala must have got something staying. With uh, the Buddha Kasapa. So, where would uh, Jyotipala get reborn after ordaining and spending his life with the Buddha Kasapa? Now, that's one little question. Number two question. According to the stories, Sometimes people say, Oh, this is just the myth and the magic stories about Buddhism. But when the Buddha was born, he was supposed to have been able to speak. I always doubted that, thinking that's just, you know, religious exaggeration. But then, there have come across a couple of examples of people born only a few hours who have been able to speak. And never again they speak once and then they quiet the rest of the time the weird stories but the first time I heard this was from an Australian couple they were not Buddhists and they came to see us because they thought you know the Buddhists were the only ones who might take this seriously and that was a couple who had two children the first child the thing was I get the names wrong, but I just call the elder child Peter and the newly born child is Paul. And when the, Paul came back from the hospital and after uh, he was born, they were in the lounge room, you know, the elder child Peter was playing, the parents were doing something else, reading or whatever, and the mother said to the elder child, Peter, please, time to go to bed. Say goodnight to your brother Paul. And so Peter went up to the pram in which Paul was resting and said to his baby brother, Good night, Paul. And then Paul said, Good night, Peter. That's impossible. And so the two parents just were shocked. Did we imagine that? What was happening? because they also said that Paul spoke in an adult voice, not in a baby voice. Good night Peter, they said. And then they didn't have to prompt anybody, but the elder brother Peter said again, good night Paul, and this time they were both paying attention. And the little baby said the second time, good night Peter and that freaked them out so much. Who do you tell? If you tell the psychologist or the doctors, they'll think you're crazy and put you on some medication. So they came to tell the monks. They didn't gain anything out of this. We said that's probably what might happen. And since that time, and I've talked about this for years, you have gathered other people who come up to you and said, yeah, the same happened to me when we had our child, the child spoke. We didn't want to tell anybody because how can you prove that? they think we're mad. So anyway, the case is where it does happen. Rare, incredibly rare, but sometimes it does. And I can't resist my favorite story. And this was of a person who was supposed to have spoken as it came out of the womb in an American maternity ward. And in front of the midwives or whoever else was there, when it came out of the womb, it said the words, oh no, not again. (laughs) Imagine, you know, you realize nappies, Going to school and all of that, I had to do it all over again. So, anyway, so in this sutta it said the Buddha walked and spoke seven words, so seven steps and spoke, This is my last life. And sometimes I thought, How on earth would he have known that? The Buddha could never, would never predict the future not well, in such specific terms, and as the Buddha realized, he was a once returner, came back into this life. He was a non-returner, he wouldn't have been reborn in this world, and realized he had enough dhamma learned from Kasapa the Buddha to actually to realize that this is his last life. Yeah, I think that must have been his level when he left, uh, died after studying with the Buddha Kasapa. And the other piece of evidence, this other piece of evidence is again circumstantial. Is We all know, according to the stories, that Siddhartha Gautama came to this planet Earth from the Thucitta realm, in another place, it says that once returners mostly get reborn in the Thucitta realm, it only says mostly, it's not full evidence, but it's pretty good. And One of the reasons I say this, is because I love stirring up <laughs> the pot, Presenting things which people haven't heard before. You don't have to believe this. It doesn't really matter. Oh, (laughs) that must be my time's out. (laughs) But, But what it does mean is that it's a good way of just extending the possibilities and understanding what Buddhism is and what a Buddha is. So anyway that's enough for this afternoon so sadu 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 <laughs>